so what we're going to talk about is, is why today is the right time to ask and think about foundations. Um, to wonder what to do when it feels like in our lives, in the world, maybe in the church, like there's just not much left standing sometimes. Uh, doesn't it in so many ways feel like we're in the middle of emerging from like an earthquake? You know, personally, maybe, who knows what your own individual journey was, the organizations that we're a part of, the schools, and we're not, um, we're not emerged, but there's no question that we're emerging. But there, there's like, there's a, been a giant tumbling of so many things in our lives. Um, a lot of us have been shaken personally. Your rhythms have been shaken. Um, your connections, our plans as a church have been shaken. There is absolutely no question. So today we ask really simply, really simply on the most basic foundation, what does it mean to have the strongest foundation? What is our foundation and what is worth really building on that is left standing when a lot of other more dispensable things come and go in terms of our, our community rhythms or programs or things that you thought were steady in your life and all of a sudden get thrown up. Maybe it's your job, maybe in a completely different career or feel the need for that now. Who knows, okay? So that's, that's the question. Um, I want to take a look at Ephesians 2 to just get us started, and then we're actually going to sit with something from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. But in Ephesians 2, um, Paul is writing, you know, Paul's, Paul's uh, letters to the church are so fascinating because what you really want to look for is the consistent through lines because he's writing to individual churches at certain times and certain places, and, and the beauty of the, the uh, word of God being alive and living and active is that we get to see all this, all this incredible stuff emerging. But we have to remember that Paul wrote a letter because there was something going on that needed a letter writing about, or unfortunately in things like 2 Corinthians, because there was a letter that they got back that we've never seen, that we would love to see. Wouldn't you like to see like, like 1.5 Corinthians? And it's actually coming from the, the church in Corinth where they're like, well, we hear you, Paul, but you weren't here to see what really went down. I mean, I know you're talking about love a lot, but just let, let me explain. You know, there's just so much there. But anyways, there's just a little, just remember that when we look at the letters theologically, we're looking at something that is grounded in a time and place and people, and that's, that speaks to us today in unique ways. But we have to understand how it starts to understand where it might finish in us. Okay, sorry. We'll do a seminar on that once we get back rolling. Um, so, uh, so, so here's what he's talking about. He's talking about what it means to become the church, um, which is pretty much what he's talking about in every letter. So this is, this is really significant. And he talks about um, different people kind of becoming one and, and about people who have been estranged from God. And by the way, there's a couple times that he talks about people being estranged from God, and this is fascinating, in their minds. <laughs> as, if, as if you didn't understand how close God was to you. In your minds, you thought you were so far away. But now God has made, God has brought you near. But God was always near. You just were missing him. But anyways, um, so what he says is, con uh, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. And then he starts talking about foundations. And this is what matters. What are you? You are a people, right? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, here's what matters as well. You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul is trying to teach the church, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to understand the base core layer of your foundations? And he says, well, here's what you have to understand. You have to understand that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. That Jesus is the foundation, the, the, the foundational part of the foundation, the thing that is the most sturdy, that holds it together, that is the most secure. This is nothing surprising, right? This is nothing surprising for me to speak to a church and say, hey, listen, folks, Jesus is our foundation. And it's radical. <laughs> Going to get emails after this one. Right? No, no, not at all. But, but one of the things that is, absolutely found, that is absolutely fantastic is that the person is what the foundation is. Again, catch this. It's not a bunch of beliefs about the person. It's not even about all that the person does. It's who the person is. That's how relational our faith is. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is what we build on. Connection with Jesus. What we want to do is we want to take that and turn it into all of the to-dos that we have to do around Jesus or with Jesus in order to make it right. There is so much grace, but, but he says, listen, the starting point, when everything topples down, the starting point that anything that is worth building on, if anything is worth building on, it is Jesus himself as our starting point. So let's take it a step further. That's just kind of a lay, laying it out. If Jesus is our foundation, and we feel in many ways right now as a church that we kind of have a bit of a blank page in front of us, a bit of a blank slate that we're moving toward. If Jesus is our foundation— and we have an opportunity to build. If Jesus is our foundation, then practically, what will that look like? Okay, what does it look like when all things are laid bare and Jesus is left in our foundation? And this is where I think Paul um, helps us understand something as we get more deep into the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul has been working with the 1 Corinthian church, and he's, uh, he's dealing with way, way, way bigger issues, by the way, than a complicated pandemic. Like, I know that you feel like this is like we've been through a lot, but just read the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians, and you will find out what a dysfunctional world looks like, okay? I mean, they were sharing communion, which was a shared meal at the time, like an actual shared meal together, and the folks who didn't have to do— oh, should we get into this? It's just so fun, the culture. So the folks who didn't have to do day labor, who didn't have to work all day, started the gathering earlier, the more wealthy ones, ate everything, got drunk, and then the, the people who finished their workday and finally joined the church, there's no food left, and communion's done. And, and, and Paul is like, what the heck is going on with you people? You're, you're not understanding it. Go eat and drink at home. The people with nothing are being left out of this whole thing. So, so, and that's just one example of all of the dysfunction. So, so what he's saying is, listen, there can be all of these dynamics, all of these challenges going on, but he starts to then move away from the specifics and back up, and he says, here's how you solve all your problems. Because he wants, he wants the First Corinthians church to rebuild, to build a new culture, okay, in Corinth. And here's what he encourages them to do, and this is directly out of Jesus. Here's what he says. Love. <laughs> This is where the, the beautiful, most powerful chapter on embodied love emerges in the light of that, 1 Corinthians 13. We're not actually going to go into all of that because I want to show you the final section of 1 Corinthians 13. So Paul starts to expound about how, listen, when love is the foundation, when love is the way that we understand what it means to be a Jesus person, 
in the most fullness, then all of these other things will begin to line up and work themselves out. But here's what he says, because they're all, they're talking about how their gatherings have been all disjointed and this and that, and some people think that they have super strong gifts and they want to be in charge, and other people say, well, you shouldn't really be in charge, and other people say, I don't even understand what the heck's going on. You know, it's all over the place, right? And, and here's how Paul ends 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about how there are different gifts in the church, different things that have defined people's faith. And he says, but where there are prophecies, whoops, Sorry, that next word is not a part of the Bible. That is part of my notes when I was working and uh, I forgot to remove it. Um, so get rid of the word clarity. You're going to see that in a second. But where there, is pro- where there are prophecies, they will cease. I don't want to add any to the scripture. I think there's really strong words in the Bible about adding to it. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Here's what I want you to think about um, when, uh, excuse me, there we go. Here's what I want you to think about when we hear these words, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. And here's how I might want to define it for today's church. Because these were things that the church felt were crucial, important, and this, this is, defines who we are, okay? So, um, so prophecy in many ways, and in many ways in terms of how we would understand it today, at least how it was practiced in the church, is about future clarity. Sorry that my uh, marker's not particularly dark. Prophecies is speaking specifically as it would come in the church. Words of encouragement about, about future future um, goodness, future, future, the way the things were going to happen. It wasn't the, the only thing that the prophets did, but in terms of the early church, when someone would prophesy, they would speak into what was coming with clarity, okay? So future clarity is one of the things that Paul talks about. The second thing, tongues, is about supernatural intimacy, all right? So this was something, and we're not going to discuss, like, the theology about prayer language right now because that's not what the point is but the point is that there was this supernatural intimacy that often defined the church this this moment of i feel so close to god there's these supernatural things happening so so there's a a glimpse of the future with clarity there's supernatural intimacy and knowledge was about theological certainty bethany's doing these really beautiful pictures with each of these so you're just getting the words i think uh Future clarity, supernatural intimacy is like, like this. Future clarity, some sort of a thought, thought cloud. And then we've got the, uh, the old, the, the, the Bible, something like that. Okay, so there we go. I try to keep up with my wife and I fail miserably. <clears throat> All right, so, so anyways, here's the thing. We tend to look at a passage like this where there are these things, they're going to pass away. Um, Paul, Paul goes on, and he says, when I, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only as a reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And what we tend to do with this is we tend to think at the end of time, this is what Paul is talking about. And there is no doubt that Paul is talking about something that will happen in the future. But he keeps using the word now. So I want you to catch this. And now, 
at the end of this whole passage, oh, I'm sorry, you probably can't see it all. And now he says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I want us to think about the realities. When we're thinking about foundations and everything else laid bare, I want us to think about the realities that Paul is saying in the midst of things that come and go. Obviously, one day fullness will come. But in the midst, future clarity, sometimes you'll have all sorts of future clarity in your life of faith. You will just know where you're going. We will have, we will have plans as a church, and, and you will be like, this is what God is calling me to, and I just feel so good about it, and I know some, and, and then sometimes you won't at all. And you just be like, I don't know what's next, Lord. I just don't know. I don't know what you're calling me to. I don't know what to do, whatever. Right? <laughs> so, so sometimes when there's prophecies, they will cease. You know, sometimes when there's tongues, there's this supernatural intimacy. Sometimes we feel so close to Jesus. Sometimes we feel like we are connected. We can hear the voice of God and the Spirit is moving. And then sometimes, just not so much. Because sometimes the tongues are stilled. Right? And we just can't quite hear so well. And sometimes we'll have this knowledge and we will bank on it. Theological certainty. We love this one. Man, do we love Man, do we love holding our beliefs really strongly and then condemning others who might differ by a little shade in some way. Um, but, but some days we will feel like we have it grasped and in other days we'll be like, I just don't know. I've got some big questions. And listen, because Paul's not just saying that one day, yes, one day certainly we'll have all of that figured out. But what's in, what's in the midst of this is, I know in part, I know in part, some things come, some things go. And now, he's talking about the present moment, folks. Now these, things, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. No matter what, he's saying. When I don't have future clarity, when supernatural intimacy just doesn't feel like I'm just not feeling it at that moment, when I've got big questions about my theology or about this or that, in the midst of all of that, if Jesus is our foundation, then what will remain is faith, hope, and love. And those things mean faith, that God is trustworthy, all right? Hope that good things are coming. Oh my goodness. This is why I have a new whiteboard that I normally use. Um, oh, that just hurts my heart. Okay. Um, faith that God is trustworthy. This is a foundation that will never change. Faith that good things are ahead. It doesn't mean a lack of suffering. It doesn't mean a lack of struggle. It means that we get to walk with the absolute conviction that because Jesus has conquered death, because Jesus is remaking the world, because Jesus has forgiven us, that good and beautiful things lie ahead no matter what stage of life that we are in. And that the church is part of the recipients of experiencing that goodness, that grace right now and forever and proclaiming it to the world. Faith, hope, and love. That active care for others, active selfless care is the foundation of how God exists for us and our calling to live that out for others. These, these things... Other things come and go. Faith, hope, and love remain at all times. And the greatest is love. Jesus is, or Paul is taking his cue here from Jesus. When Jesus is asked about these things, he says that the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says every aspect of love is the greatest command. Not just the upward one, not just the outward one. All of the aspects of love are the greatest command and everything else is summed up within that. This is, this is foundational, basic stuff. If Jesus is our foundation, then what remains will be faith, hope, and love always. And if what remains is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love, then whatever we build next is going to be strong. Period. And it'll be beautiful. And it'll have doors that are wide open for all to come into God's love, and it'll have doors that are wide open for all of us to go out carrying God's love. Because that's the calling of our church. And so for our first real gathering back, we have to remember that that is our foundation and nothing else. We have to set that culture together. Um, nearly four years ago, August of 2017, was the first time that we walked into this room and I sat right here on the stage. I didn't want to go up on the stage. I don't know how many of you were around and remember that. Um, for several weeks, I stood and I taught down here. I, I was nervous about what was ahead. We had been meeting in this beat-up old cafeteria on the other side of the building before they built this wing. And it was, it was something else. I mean, like in the middle of teaching, you know, the HVAC. You remember that? Some of you? I mean, like, and it was like, okay, can you turn the microphones up now? So we all set up the folding chairs before every gathering. We put them back. We pushed away the blue tables. And here's the thing. The culture that we had in that space was beautiful and great. It was not easy to be a part of the church back then because everybody had to lend a hand. To be the church was to be people who were participating in a life with God together, who were serving. It was all hands on deck all the time. And moving here was too cushy. We had this beautiful space that looked like either a megachurch or someone that was trying to be a megachurch. And that's not my style. It felt too easy to walk in and just be like, man, the expectations are going to be that this is just going to be an awesome service that I just get to kind of sit back and enjoy. No problem with that, except when that becomes how you define what it means to be God's church, to be the body of Christ. And so I was nervous about what was ahead. Um, I was worried that people wouldn't understand that we're more about people than programs. And uh, I was worried that people wouldn't understand that we are trying to create a Jesus community and not a Sunday service. But I also had a, a, a glimpse that I felt like somehow at the same time we were being, a gift, we were being given a gift for the future. And, and that gift um, was that it, it wouldn't be so much work <laughs> just to gather and exist in one place, right? Uh, so, so we would easily be able to have space to celebrate together that could inspire us to spend more time and energy out in our neighborhoods and our houses and our meal communities and, and in serving the poor and the homeless and, and doing the things that we felt God called us to do to be the church. So, so I was inspired with hope, too, about what new opportunities would come. So four years ago, I sat right here, uh, on the front of this stage. And I didn't move from here for about four weeks because we needed to make it clear that the church is community and that there's no weird line of delineation that happens as soon as we get a bunch of people up on stage. Um, now that was more metaphorical than literal because it doesn't make any difference where I'm sitting and teaching from. 
Not one bit. In fact, most of you can see me better if I'm up there, which is where we eventually, again, a um, little not-so-gentle prodding from my spouse and a few others of like, get over it, Keith. Get up on the stage so that everybody can see your face um, and so that we can actually use the screen well and all that stuff and, and use the gift that, that God's given us through a space like this. But we wanted to be clear that the church is people. Um, and it's not entertainment or, or information or consumption, right? The church is this living organism made up of many parts. And all there is, all there is in the church is the people of God imperfectly seeking to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbors as themselves and not do it alone, but in the company of other fellow sojourners. That's us. So I'm, I'm here today and I'm nervous about what's ahead. <laughs> just like I was four years ago. Um, the past year has shifted a lot of things all over the place, friends. We are a different people than when we began. Each of us is in a different spot. Nearly every single church rhythm that we had was forced to change. Um, we got out of the habit of physical pre presence in each other's lives for the most part. Um, there, there is a big process ahead of us, a process that involves building trust, a process that involves deepening relationships, a process that involves establishing the right rhythms to live out our, our church's mission. And honestly, it, it feels a little bit like church planting all over again. And that, that leaves me feeling yucky because that was tiring. But I'm also full of hope, just like I was four years ago again. Because I think that we've been given a gift for the future. Because some of you... If we hadn't just walked through this crazy, disorganized, disconnected time, some of you might not be realizing that you have the ability to be a culture creator. You might join a church that looks and feels, let's be honest, life fast never going to look and feel like this, but you, you might join a church that looks and feels like a well-oiled machine, right? Where you can just, where you just come in and just like, it's really nice. And, and you might never offer your gifts to the body. You might, never, you might never say, wow, I'm needed here to offer something good to build on a foundation of Jesus that is, that is, uh, that is laid bare on only faith, hope, and love and, and be being built up into something beautiful. And I have a role to play. You might not do that if we didn't have to sit here at the end of an unbelievable year that will be written about in history books and in church culture and that many churches didn't even survive. Many churches didn't even survive this because of so many reasons that I won't even name. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that in the midst of this, those of you who might feel like you are a periphery to our church, maybe you joined us during the pandemic, maybe you've just been observing for a while, whatever the, the reason, those of you who feel like you might be a periphery to the church, you're not. Not one of you is. And how beautiful of a possibility is that? How beautiful that in this situation, maybe you won't be tempted to just think that you can't fit in or to think that you, you can't form deep relationships because everybody knows each other so well. But guess what? That opportunity is right here, right now for all of us to work together to make something amazing because we are stripped down to our foundations the vision team is trying to just simply pray and say, all right, Lord, what is next for our church? What is next? And we don't know because that depends so much on how God stirs all of the rest of you. Um, so 
None of us at the end of all of this really wants to play, waste time like playing church. Just none of us does. None of us wants to step into a new rhythm where it just feels like I'm, I'm going to this thing because that's what you do as a Christian, right? Um, we are primed and ready because of how much laid bare we might feel right now. And maybe it's just pruning as one of our pastoral team mentioned. I don't know if it's Dwayne or Sabrina, but... Um, they're like, you know, maybe, maybe the exhaustion that so many people are feeling, maybe it's just Jesus pruning and cutting back so that life can breathe. Like maybe it's the, the, the winter time is over and the spring is about to bring all of this new growth and people's lives have been pared down so they can actually do the things in faith, hope, and love that God has given them to do. Um, so we're going to spend the summer talking about creating culture. We're going to look into the scriptures at stories of people who did things and had moments where they created a culture that reflected the kingdom of God and it changed things in the Old Testament and New Testament. So summer's a fun time for storytelling, but I want it to inspire us to say, how can each of us decide that as we follow Jesus, as Jesus becomes the true foundation of our lives, of everything that we do, how might that lead me to create culture in some new way? You don't all have to be like, upfront, nonprofit leaders, public speakers, like, no, no, what we're asking you to do is learn how to live a culture of love that influences others because Jesus has influenced you. That's all we're asking. And just do it in a way that's true to how God has made you. Um, so I, I just love that in, in the Genesis story when, when God creates, the characteristic of God creating is creating more things to be created. Like he creates things with the capacity to create. He makes trees that can make more trees, right? He makes animals that are able to make more animals. He makes people that are able, we'll keep it PG, to make more people, right? And he creates people with the capacity to help create the kingdom in partnership with God. Like, God's made the world to join in the creative process. So I'm inviting you to be a part of the same thing. It's, yeah, it's really exciting. So, be a maker, not taker in the coming season. There you go. Just think about the language. Last thing, I'm going to cut it short. But the temptation really is to kind of move in that direction of, of takers. Think about the language that we use. All right? It's going to be nice to enjoy having worship again. We're going to enjoy getting a scripture message. We're going to enjoy receiving communion. Think about those words, having, getting, receiving. They're not all bad. But very quickly, it can be about what's coming to us, right? Nothing's wrong with those things. In fact, they can be very much in line with Jesus. I'm going to give you a pass on receiving communion because we're actually receiving grace. So we'll talk about it like that. But the church is so much bigger than all that if it's a shared life together and a society of encouragement, right? So what if we came to share in the scriptures and to share in communion of Christ together? What if we came to give thanks, right? Instead of just to get something from worship, right? What if we came to encourage one another instead of just to hear? So what if this was simply one more touch point among a week of visits, texts, meals, encouragement, prayers, and serving together? That's, that's the beauty of the vision. It's not incredible programs. It's a shared life doing the work of Jesus together. So I'm inviting you, um, yeah, to see what Jesus does when Jesus himself is our starting place and when we are founded on faith, hope, and love, knowing that when everything else is laid bare, nothing can ever take away the love of God. Nothing can ever take away the hope that good things are ahead. 
Nothing can ever take away the trustworthiness of God through the generations over and over again. So it's a weird open-ended message, but that's the way it works when you're starting with a blank slate sometimes. Uh, so God be with us. There oh, sorry. There are beautiful things that'll emerge um, when the thing that remains our foundation is Jesus and his love. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're just asking you to give us... Uh, <laughs> we just talked about being givers, but we're asking to, 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 for you to give us what we need to hear, that we might be able to receive from you the encouragement, the words, the faith to walk forward together and build something really, really beautiful. Uh, I, I pray that you restore the, the, the spirit in us that gets us ready to walk into the next stage of life in our own discipleship, in our community life, in a world that is in desperate need of grace and kindness and forgiveness and radical service. Help us, Lord, as we walk forward.